The scriptures warn us that if we say that we have no sin, we make God out to be a liar and the truth and his truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's our hope and comfort also as we worship God this morning. Amen. Let's now open the word of God. Our first scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 8. <clears throat> Isaiah 8, you'll notice this is a uh, scripture that uh, Peter has, uh, the Apostle Peter has quoted before from Isaiah uh, chapter 8, and he will be uh, quoting it again in the scripture text we'll be looking at in a moment. So it's just a few verses that we'll read, Isaiah 8 verses 11 through 15. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear, and let Him be your dread. And He will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken." They shall be snared and taken. So far from Isaiah. Let's also turn to the New Testament to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter 3, we'll read verses 8 through 17. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So far, the reading of God's word. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 34, stanzas 8 through 9.
The verses that we want to focus on this afternoon are verses 13 through 17 of 1 Peter chapter 3. Since it is only a few verses, let's read those again in preparation for the sermon. 1 Peter 3 verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So far... The text. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we are now spending a third week on this short section of Peter from verses, uh, verses 8 through verse 17. And they, are, they really are one section. You can see that they are to be held together, and the ESV does a good job of blocking this off uh, as, as one section. And so it might uh, start to seem, perhaps to some of us, like overkill, that, that we would spend three weeks on what is really one passage of Scripture. And I, I ask myself the same question, uh, do I want to spend three weeks on, on this, or can it be done in one week or two? Uh, and I came to the conclusion that it, it is important that we spend the, the right amount of time on this passage. And I want to share a couple of reasons for that. Uh, first of all, uh, this section really, really forms the heart of this letter of, of 1 Peter. Uh, his concern is for these scattered and, and persecuted Christians all over the Roman Empire. Uh, and he knows that persecution is likely to only get worse in the coming years, and indeed it would. It would get much worse in just uh, the space of a few years. Uh, and that's, So that's no small ambition on Peter's part, that he wants to uh, provide some comfort, encouragement, and also direction to the churches who are about to, to start suffering uh, a lot. Uh, in the second place, uh, we, we might ask, some of us might ask, well, d- does this passage really apply to us? We're not about to be persecuted, or at least we don't, we don't know that we are uh, in, in the immediate future. Does this apply to us? Uh, and it does. It does, even if we're not facing formal persecution from the state or from the culture, uh, yet how many of us uh, can relate to being mistreated? I think probably most of us know what it means and what it's like to be mistreated. Uh, do any of you ever feel the, the fleshly impulse to lash out against those who mistreat you? I suspect you do, because I know I certainly do. Uh, to become angry uh, and embittered, or, or to respond in a way that does not look like Christ, that does not flow out of the gospel, I suspect that this lives in your life as well. Well, so this is something then that we all experience, whether we are mistreated or, or persecuted or not. Uh, and the question is laid upon us in this text, how do you respond to mistreatment? How do you respond when others uh, treat you wrongly? Uh, and this really matters because the trials that we uh, experience, 
in relation to other people uh, is a big part of our lives. How we respond to mistreatment forms a big part of not only what we do, but also what lives in our heart on a day-to-day basis. When when we feel like we're not being treated fairly, uh, it lives on our hearts and does not leave our minds. It's a big part of our lives. Uh, and, and in the long term, the effect of that anger and bitterness being cherished and, and left alone in our hearts uh, can ultimately shipwreck uh, the course of, uh, of our lives and our faith. Uh, so for those reasons, it's worth spending time on these passages that directly confront uh, this tendency of ours. And I'll say this as well. I know for myself, having uh, spent several weeks just meditating on these verses and, and thinking about what does it look like uh, in my own life to, to live these verses out, uh, I know that I am nowhere near to exhausting the fruit uh, from, from a passage such as this. And I suspect the same uh, would be true for most of you. Uh, I certainly know I don't always respond to others in a, in a way that looks like Christ. Uh, that fleshly impulse to punch back or, or to write people off uh, or to let people get what they deserve is, is something that lives in my life and I suspect also uh, in yours. Uh, and, and this is where the work of Christ has its effect. This is where Christ wants to form us and shape us and teach us what it means to have his heart in the midst of conflict. And with that being said, then, let's find our place in the larger context. So two weeks ago, we looked at uh, just at verse 8 all by itself, uh, at that theme of maintaining a bond of brotherly love within the church. Uh, and then last week, we looked at verses 9 to 12 on, on the, the theme of responding with good for the evil that is done against us, responding with blessing Uh, when we are cursed, because that's the character of God. We talked about what it means to be God's children in a world that mistreats us. Uh, And now this week, the the goal is to focus particularly on what it means to have uh, have a gospel-shaped response to suffering, a a Christ-exalting response to suffering and mistreatment. And our text has four specific instructions you you can break down out of our text uh, each of them are easily worth the sermon in themselves, but uh, I'll just have to leave them there for you to work out uh, on your own time and in your own relationships. Uh, we want to start then by picking up uh, where we left off last week with the first instruction to respond with blessing. Responding with blessing. We, we saw that last week that this, is, this response imitates the character of God, the God who loved His enemies, who responded with blessing for the evil that they had done against Him. Uh, so Peter had quoted from Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Uh, so what does that mean uh, for us? Uh, it means that when you and I are caught up in a situation where wrong is done to us, or evil is said about us, the question that is now put upon us by Christ, by God the Father as well, is will we join in in the flesh? Will we join in in responding according to the flesh, satisfying the desire of the flesh by, by lashing out, by responding in kind? Or will we, in that moment, pursue the character and the will of our Father who returns uh, evil, who, who, who returns good for, for the evil that is done against Him? Uh, And the promise there that we saw last week is if we do respond according to our Father's heart, uh, then our Father God will also walk alongside us 
as we, as we seek to respond that way. He will be near to us. He will attend our cries. His ears is, are, are open to our cries. And then He, at the end of the day, He will plead our case. Uh, if, if others truly are doing wrong to you, it will not escape the sight of God. Uh, and so it, it does not fall upon you to, to, to exact justice. You can leave that in the hands of your good Father who will see to it that justice will be done. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. No one gets away with anything. Well, in our text then this morning, verse 13 uh, adds on to, to that uh, an additional reminder, uh, which is that in general, in general, Kindness, goodness, and mercy have a way of returning their own blessings, uh, even in this broken and sinful world. Uh, Peter says it this way in verse 13, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, that might seem like an insensitive thing to say to, to persecuted Christians. That was my first thought. How can Peter say this? to persecuted Christians that people are not going to harm you for doing what is good, since they were experiencing that very thing. Uh, But of course, Peter knows that, uh, and Peter himself is no stranger to that. Peter is not speaking here as an outsider in his uh, theological ivory tower uh, to, to these persecuted Christians. Peter is one of them who is suffering with them. He's experienced a great deal of it, and he uh, knew well that he was going to experience more. The Lord Jesus had even told him uh, in, in his last words to him that he will experience more, uh, that at the end of his life, people will take him to a place that he does not want to go. Uh, and yet, what Peter says is still true, isn't it? Uh, in general, kindness and mercy lead to peace, where responding from the flesh only leads to more conflict. Now, the words of Psalm 34 here are true. Do you, want to, do you want to love life and see good days? Then keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Yes, there are still some perverse individuals who will still harden their hearts and still persecute you anyways for doing good, but in general in this world, your actions have consequences for good or for ill. It's a big theme in Proverbs as well, in the book of Proverbs, uh, like Proverbs 16, verse 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So sow to the flesh, and you will reap from the flesh. Sow to the Spirit, and you will reap from the Spirit. You will reap peace. And that's why Peter urges the church here, whatever you do in the midst of your suffering, whatever you do, don't let your persecution really just be a result of your own sinful behavior. God takes no pleasure in that kind of thing. If you are mistreated and then you return evil for evil, don't be surprised that things get worse. You need to seek peace. You need to stop the cycle. Uh, You need to do that in the first place, as we saw last week, because that's the will of God. That's your Father's heart. Uh, But you also need to do that because that's the way to peace. That's the way uh, to, to resolution. Don't be persecuted unnecessarily. Nobody should, should want that. You don't want to be persecuted. You don't go looking for that. So don't, don't add to the conflict with your own stubbornness and your own ego. I think these are uh, 
convicting words for for all of us. Uh, Don't confuse trouble that you've brought on yourself uh, with trouble that has come upon you for the sake of Christ. If you do face mistreatment, uh, then follow Christ in turning from evil, turning to good, turning from your own pride and ego, uh, and taking like Christ the form of a slave. Uh, and, And then you get to know that as you do that, Christ will walk with you along that road, and Christ will shower you with every heavenly blessing. Uh, So Peter says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, because he knows they they are going to, uh, you are blessed, provided that you respond with the the character of Christ. Uh, In that case, then, Peter also gives us a second exhortation, a second imperative in, in this text, which is, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Let's pause there and think about what that means. Now, if you're paying close attention, this is why I highlighted this when we read Isaiah 8, uh, you'll notice that Peter is actually quoting here from Isaiah chapter 8. Uh, This is a text that you can see Peter has spent some time on because he's quoted from this same text earlier in this letter in chapter 2 where he spoke of Jesus as being a a rock of stumbling and a stone of offense. Uh, There too he's quoting from that same passage in in Isaiah 8. Uh, So we we get the sense that this is a passage that was very dear to to Peter's heart. Uh, And so Peter says, uh, don't fear them. Uh, Literally in the Greek, uh, it says, do not fear the fear of them. Which means something along the lines of, don't share in the fear that marks their lives and their hearts. Do not fear the fear of them, nor be troubled. Uh, I think the, the NIV actually gets, gets it closer to the meaning here. Uh, the ESV says, do not fear them. Uh, the NIV says, uh, do not fear what they fear. Don't, don't share in their fear. Uh, th- this, is a, this is a quote particularly from the Septuagint, a translation, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that Peter would have worked with as their, their uh, Bibles. Uh, and, and there it, it says... Uh, Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. So what's Peter, what's the point here that Peter wants wants to impress upon us by quoting this Old Testament text? Well, God had told the prophet Isaiah, the people of of Israel are going to stumble over this Messiah. They will stumble over him. He is a a rock of stumbling, a stone of offense. And so Peter has already drawn the connection to Christ. He's saying when when God says, uh, I will be a stone of offense, Peter is now drawing that connection to Christ. Christ uh, is the stone of offense over which Israel is going to stumble. Uh, And so the the Jews uh, were suspicious of the Christians. They stumbled over the Messiah. Uh, And as a result, they're acting out of fear. They're they're acting against the Christians. In their persecution of the Christians, they're acting out of fear. Uh, Fear for the Jews, uh, fear that this Christian sect is going to destabilize the temple religion. Uh, and may even, some of them, uh, when you read the, the records from that day, many of them were afraid that the Christian sect was going to cause persecution to come to the Jews from, from the Romans. 
And meanwhile, on the other side, Christians also experienced persecution from the Romans. And there too, it was fear. When you read the accounts of that day, there was so much fear of, of, these, of this Christian sect. Fear because they were strange and, and suspicious. They were accused of being atheists because they did not have a God in front of them that, that they worshipped. And, and the Romans were, were afraid this was going to offend the gods, that, that you would worship an invisible God. Uh, fear. Uh, fear of the unknown. When a strange and suspicious group shows up on the scene, we, we have a, a natural reaction to respond out of, out of fear. Uh, and, and so Peter says, do not fear what they fear. Uh, and isn't this a timely word for today? Uh, so much of our world, look at, at how the coronavirus uh, has, has sent this world into a state of fear, of panic, not knowing uh, what to do. Uh, it's fear, fear of death. Uh, beyond that, culturally, there's fear of, of loneliness. There's, there's fear of the unknown. Uh, fear of hell, it lives in everyone's heart. This knowledge of God, as Peter, or sorry, as Paul says in Romans 1, uh, we have a knowledge of God. Uh, and, and though we may reject Him, we live in fear of Him. Fear of hell. Uh, fear, of, fear of each other. How much of that you see in this world? The, the fear of one another. And we, sem- we sometimes uh, tend to think only in terms of the world hating us, but the reality is the world hates uh, each other as well. A brief survey of the news shows all of the hostility uh, that different, different groups in the world have for one another. That's what Paul says in Titus 3, that we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Well, that's the fear that, that Peter is talking about. It's the fear that uh, ruled Israel in the days of Isaiah, where, where God says to Isaiah, do not fear what they fear. Uh, it's the fear that rules our human hearts, it, that directs us in the life of sin. Uh, and so the temptation then, when you become the recipient of the fear and suspicion, and then as a result, persecution and hostility uh, of others, uh, the temptation is to fall into that same fear, to become afraid yourself. Uh, we fear the, the opposite political party. Or we fear the uncertainty of, of the future. We fear what this world is becoming. And we allow ourselves to be ruled by, by fear. This is why uh, we, we so easily fall into conspiracy theories as well. Which is something Isaiah directly speaks against. Do not call conspiracy what this world calls conspiracy. You know, we do this, we talk about how the left is secretly plotting to, uh, to destroy Western civilization or, or infiltrate our, our universities. Uh, we, we, and so we, then we respond with fear uh, and, and aggression. Well, the word of God to Isaiah is, do not fear what they fear. Do not be afraid. Uh, let the Lord of hosts be your fear. Let God be your dread. Uh, him you shall honor as holy. Uh, in other words, we need to keep things in perspective. Uh, whether we tend, uh, whether it doesn't matter which direction we go, whether we tend to fear on the one side the, the, the fascist alt right, whether that becomes our, our fear, or whether we fear the, the Marxist alt left, uh, or, or whether we tend to fear uh, the spread of Islam or the, or the rise of, uh, of postmodern materialism, whatever it is that becomes our fear, 
uh, all of that absolutely pales in comparison to the one thing that we should fear, the one thing that every human being will have to face, which is in a few short years, standing before the judgment throne of God. Let that be your fear. Uh, Let that uh, be your dread. So stop living in fear and start fearing the one you should fear. Now by saying that, Peter and and Isaiah before him are are not saying that we should live in the terror of God. It is not a servile kind of fear. Uh, We know that God has come near to us in grace. Uh, But it is saying we should be extremely cautious, extremely sensitive to the words of God uh, and no longer ruled by the fears of men. It's like Isaiah says in Isaiah 61, uh, God says through him, this is the one to whom I look, he who trembles at my word. Uh, The saying is very true. The fear of man makes us cowards. The fear of God makes us fearless. Now take that then to the church to whom Peter is writing. Uh, What's striking about this passage, uh, there's a couple of things. One thing that's striking about uh, the use of this passage is he takes a text that speaks of the Lord of hosts. Right? It says in Isaiah, the Lord of hosts, the highest, most exalted name for God, Yahweh of hosts, let Him be your dread, let Him be your fear. Uh, He takes that text and you'll notice he applies it to Christ. You know, there are those who say that the Bible nowhere teaches that Christ is God, that Christ is Yahweh. Look at how the New Testament quotes the Old. Uh, here, Isaiah says, The Lord of hosts, let him be your fear. And, and Peter translates that as Christ. Let Christ the Lord be your fear. Uh, so Peter says, Do not fear what they fear, uh, but, but honor Christ the Lord as holy. Uh, What does that mean, to honor Christ the Lord as holy? Uh, It means to stand before His holiness and to let that, let that moment of seeing the holiness of Christ drive you to a deep and reverent fear of the sort that drives out all other fear. You think here of the image of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in the temple of God. Uh, The the account of that is in Isaiah 6. Uh, He stands before the throne of God and he sees the the glory of the Lord filling the temple and the angels saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, and, And what's Isaiah's reaction? He falls on his face and cries out, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Whatever fears existed in in Isaiah's heart before he got there into the temple, those fears utterly vanished as he stood before the glory of God and said, there is one problem here, and that is I am a man of unclean lips and dwell among a people of unclean lips. Standing before the holiness of God, all other fear fades away. So Peter says, do not fear what they fear, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Uh, When we are mistreated by the world, our response to that mistreatment must begin here. Uh, Standing before the throne of God, remembering why it is such good news that He has brought us uh, with His blood before the throne of God to be reconciled to this holy God. Uh, And so we can stand there honoring Him as holy uh, and, and making it our first priority to be right with Him, to stand in holiness before Him. Again, the fear of man makes us cowards. The fear of God makes us fearless. 
Thirdly, a third imperative we get from this text is be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Uh, so Peter goes on, always being, so honor him as holy, uh, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Uh, now, you can see this, this really deserves a sermon all in its own right. Uh, so I hope you all appreciate at least the self-restraint I'm about to show by, by just highlighting a few things here. Uh, th- this text ha- has formed the basis for an entire field of, of study called Christian apologetics that comes from the word defense in the Greek that's used in this verse, uh, making an apologia, a, a defense to anyone who, who asks you for, the hope, for a reason for the hope that is in you. Uh, just a few then simple observations about this. Number one, uh, evidently Peter believed the Christian faith has reasons. The Christian faith has reasons, being prepared to give a a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. When the Apostle Paul went out to preach the gospel, whether it was to Jews or to Greeks uh, or to anyone else in the Roman Empire, he didn't just go and say, just believe the Bible or just have faith, uh, but rather he reasoned with them. And now he reasoned differently, depending on his context. When you'd go to the Jews, he'd go to the synagogue, he'd reason from the Old Testament Scriptures. Look, these point to Christ the Messiah. When he went to the Greeks, he, point, he reasoned from what they themselves knew. Uh, they had a sense that God does not dwell in temples made by, by hands. You see this in Acts 17. Peter reasons with them. You yourselves know uh, that God is more than this that you are worshiping. Uh, so, so the Christian faith has, has reasons. I want to speak to the young people in particular here. Uh, we give reasons uh, why we believe that, that, that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, there are reasons that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead uh, and, and that Jesus is also coming to judge the world. Uh, yes, we hold those convictions by faith, but faith is not the opposite of reason. Uh, Faith has its reasons, and those reasons are profound and compelling. Uh, And I would really encourage the young people here, uh, if you struggle with your faith, and if you don't know the reasons for your faith, uh, pick up some good books that explore the reasons for the Christian faith. Uh, Read Christian Apologists. Uh, There are biblical reasons uh, why Christ, why we see Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures. It's not just a position we hold, it's a position the Scriptures lead us to. Uh, Beyond that, more more broadly, in our secular culture, there are reasons, uh, moral reasons, metaphysical reasons for the belief in God. Uh, Yes, we hold that by faith, but faith is not without its reasons. I invite you as well uh, to, to, to speak with one another. Uh, if I may make the elders a bit uncomfortable, I invite you, challenge the elders. Ask them, what are your reasons for, for being a Christian, for believing in Jesus Christ? That's the sort of thing that Peter calls us to do. Uh, sometimes it takes some, some drawing out, some time of exploring uh, for us to realize ourselves what our reasons are for holding the convictions that we do. But, but we need to do that if we're going to be prepared to give those reasons uh, to those who ask them of us. As we grow up in, in Christian maturity, we are called to, to understand our reasons for believing what we do. 
Uh, one of the, this is one of the challenges of growing up uh, entirely within a, a Christian context. Uh, with, we go to church on Sunday and we go to Christian schools and all of these are, are very good things. Uh, but the, the drawback there is that we are, are very rarely challenged on those, those reasons. Uh, whereas if you talk to, to those who've come into the faith uh, from the outside, they know very well their reasons for, for believing uh, and that's something that we're called to grow in and, and to mature in, uh, understanding the reasons that undergird our faith. Uh, in, in my own experience, I find that people often uh, resist this precisely because they're afraid of, of what challenges this might bring. It's threatening. Uh, there's, there's that underlying question, well, what if, what if I do explore the reasons and then I find them to be I- insufficient? What if I lose my, my confidence? Uh, but, but here's the thing, those same insecurities, that fear of finding your reasons to be insufficient, uh, are often uh, the very reason that we avoid sharing our faith. We don't want to evangelize precisely because we're afraid that our reasons might not be sufficient. Uh, so to get to the other side of, of having a strong and, and mature faith, one that, that enables you to share your faith with others, uh, we have to go down the uncomfortable road of exploring uh, the reasons for, for our faith, being willing to face the challenges, some of which we may not have uh, answers to uh, on this side of eternity. Uh, and and that's, this is also why we have a community of brothers and sisters If you do experience doubts, if you do feel challenged, if you do wonder whether the reasons for the faith are are sufficient, uh, and let's be honest, most of us have such doubts at differing times, then talk with your brothers and sisters here in in the church. Uh, You might discover that the very things that you are struggling with are things that your brother or sister has struggled with before and God has taken them to the other side, to a place of confidence, uh, understanding the, the reasons. Uh, dare to ask one another for the reasons for your faith. That really should be part of our church culture, that there's an openness uh, to, to asking questions, to, uh, to sharing uh, our struggles, and it really is the only way to growth and maturity. If we keep a, a culture of shame that, that says you're not allowed to ask uh, questions, you're not allowed to struggle, well, we prevent ourselves from growing uh, as a Christian community. So be open. Uh, be honest, ask questions, uh, and then be humble and willing to also listen to, to each other's answers. Uh, and by doing so, uh, by, by making us effective witnesses here amongst each other, we, we sort of get a practice uh, evangelism, practice defending the faith here among one another, sharing our reasons. Uh, by doing that, uh, God also makes us effective witnesses then outside of the church, uh, in a world, uh, in, in, in the workplace, uh, in the schools, uh, wherever God gives us opportunities when we're asked for the reasons that we can have, reasons that we can share. Now Peter adds to this, so always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, literally in, in the Greek, uh, the word that is used here for respect is the word fear, which is a little bit I- ironic since Peter has just told us, do not fear them. Uh, and yet now he says, now, now give a reason, but do it with gentleness and, and fear. 
Uh, but, but we can recognize we're talking about something slightly different here. Uh, just as the improper fear of man really stems from a lack of the fear of God, so we, we don't fear God and, and are thus afraid of, of man, so there is also a sort of fear or respect of our fellow man that comes uh, from our fear of God. When we fear Him, we also have respect for those who are made in, in His image. It flows out of our our fear of God. Uh, and we should spend a moment on this. Uh, while God's Word does teach us to, to value the opportunities to share the Gospel, uh, God's Word also teaches us and really emphasizes this, uh, that we do so with gentleness and, and respect. Now, sometimes we, I spoke a moment ago about the insecurities that we have sometimes about our own reasons uh, and how these insecurities, uh, they can often lead us to become harsh or impatient with those who ask us for a reason for our faith. Uh, so when, when someone questions our, our convictions uh, or even challenges, maybe forcefully challenges our convictions, maybe even mocks our convictions, something that the believers then were experiencing, uh, oftentimes insecurity will lead us to respond harshly, to criticize or mock in, in return. And it has the effect of, of shutting down a conversation that could have led to you sharing the reasons for the hope that is in you. Uh, sometimes you can examine yourself on, on this. Sometimes uh, we do this because we really don't want them to ask any more questions because we're afraid we're not going to have uh, the answers. Uh, we're afraid of looking foolish, and so we want to shut down uh, a conversation that could have led to, to sharing the gospel. Well, if that's the case, then, then we need to be humble ourselves and, and to learn, uh, in the first place, to learn to be okay with looking foolish. Uh, it's something the New Testament teaches us to do. You're going to be fools in the eyes of the, of the world. Get used to it. Uh, be prepared for it. Uh, and, and then in the second place, being willing to admit to our neighbors or colleagues or, 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 or fellow students, admitting to them uh, that we don't know all the answers. Uh, that we're willing, perhaps, to, to do some more digging and some more research and some more question asking on our own. Uh, there's nothing wrong with admitting, I don't know the answer to the question you're asking. Uh, in fact, uh, guess what? Your, your unbelieving neighbors already know that you don't know all of the answers. Uh, we don't need to pretend that you know, once you're a Christian, then you have all the answers. We're just not willing to share them with you. Uh, they know that we don't have uh, all the answers. Uh, and that humility to admit that uh, can actually be very winsome. It's very winsome and disarming to admit uh, when we don't know, uh, to, to, to admit that we don't know, but we're willing to, to listen to the questions. Uh, we're willing to value the questions that, that you're asking something important. But I don't know the answer to this, but I'll, but I'll go and, and I'll find out. And that's the kind of thing that Peter is talking about, responding with, with gentleness and respect. Uh, one last thing then, one last imperative, and we'll close on this. Peter also says, do this having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now, this, this should go without saying. Uh, but since Peter is willing to say it to these 
persecuted Christians and scattered Christians, uh, if Peter's willing to say it to them, then we should be willing to hear it as well. Uh, We must make sure that uh, in the first place, uh, if we are experiencing mistreatment, we must make sure that we are right with God, that we ourselves have a clean conscience before we go about sharing the gospel with others. We must make sure that our conscience is clear. And particularly then when we are mistreated, uh, it becomes very easy to, to respond, uh, to, to give unkindness right back in return, uh, at which point you're no longer operating out of a good conscience. Uh, th- at that point, then, we have to silence the voice of our own conscience uh, with, with these excuses that we tell ourselves that, yeah, I, I know I responded harshly, but look, what, look at what they said. Look at what they did. Uh, look at what they're doing. I, you know, I wouldn't treat them like this if they weren't doing that. Uh, these excuses uh, are the words of a guilty conscience, a, word that know, a, a, a conscience that knows that, that we are not right with God. Uh, And at that point, it's no longer suffering for doing good, which is God's will for us, uh, but it's simply suffering because we're perpetuating a cycle of evil, returning uh, that shortness, returning that unkindness or impatience or contempt uh, for the things that have been directed against you. Well, Peter says, that is not God's will for you. Uh, If it is God's will for you to suffer, uh, then be it for good. Uh, don't suffer for the same sins of the flesh that others are committing against you. Uh, don't be drawn into that cycle of the flesh. Uh, remember, as we saw last week, it's the favor of the Lord God that you are prioritizing. Uh, you will have to give an account not for what they've done to you, but for what you have done. Uh, so follow your God in returning good for evil. Uh, Let it be that those who revile you, Peter says, may be put to shame at least at the end of the day, when they stand before the throne of God, uh, that they may be put to shame by your good and humble and meek behavior, by your sincere conduct, uh, that they may see that you, just like your Father in heaven, genuinely desired their well-being and the fruit of righteousness in them that that you tried to sow in peace. Uh, Let that be your prayer and let them see that that is your heartfelt desire. And so then as we wrap up these these three weeks uh, on this uh, really important section of of Peter's letters, probably most of us can think about some some very practical applications in in our own uh, personal lives where we are experiencing uh, mistreatment, where we are being wronged. As we deal with that, we must remember the gospel to respond with the heart of Christ. Uh, In our hearts, as as Peter says, setting Christ apart as holy so that he would be our fear. And, And by doing that, that means remembering the heart of Christ towards us. Remembering the grace, the mercy, the compassion that he felt for us while we were still his enemies. Uh, while we were still sinning against him and still ungrateful towards him, he came to dwell among us. He came to die for us and then to make peace with us by covering our sins with his blood. Uh, If that's how Christ has been towards us and how Christ continues to be towards us even in this present day, then, then let our words and our actions flow out of that relationship with Christ. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by singing together from hymn 69, stanzas 1 through 3. Mm-hmm.